Loyalty is a concept often associated with the people most precious to us. Usually it's reserved for family, friends, and loved ones. Occasionally we extend loyalty to even larger entities, our country, our political affiliation, and perhaps even our job. Sometimes our loyalty to these entities is a choice, with an end goal in mind, like retirement or a promotion. Other times, we find ourselves remaining loyal to these larger entities simply because our values and ideals line up with theirs. Loyalty can't be bought or paid for. It can't be franchised or traded. It has to be earned, chosen, nurtured. Unless, of course, we're talking about loyalty to a product. I'm Colin Mansfield, and this is the Boise Coffee Podcast. The Pareto Principle states that for many events, 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. For a business, this means that 80% of sales comes from 20% of customers. One of the keys to having a successful company, then, is to find those 20% of customers and keep them coming back for more. Businesses and brands are always trying to figure out ways to maintain customer loyalty to their products. These so-called loyalty programs are simple. Reward a customer for buying your product and make the reward good enough that they'll come back for more. Before I talk about how loyalty programs apply to coffee, I'd like to take a step back and provide some context to show just how powerful loyalty programs have been over the past two centuries. The first recorded loyalty programs in modern history started in the late 1700s when various US merchants handed out copper tokens to their customers. After collecting enough of these tokens, customers could redeem them for products in the store, creating a cycle profitable for both the consumer and the business. This idea caught on and soon companies were producing their own certificates and tickets, which were only redeemable in their stores. Buy enough of a product, and get another free product. One of the larger scale loyalty programs came in the form of trading stamps. In 1896, the Sperry and Hutchison Company became the first third-party stamp trading company, allowing their stamps to be redeemed for a variety of products from several different stores. These S&H green stamps, or simply green stamps, were ubiquitous and encouraged many other third-party stamp trading companies to spring up across the United States. Green stamps became such a big deal that consumers would decide where they would shop strictly based on how many stamps they could get per dollar spent. 
Following World War II, the stamp trading business experienced a boom when GIs returned from the war. In the 1960s, S&H green stamps became tradable overseas to the United Kingdom, though their trademark green color had already been taken and they instead chose the color pink. The stamp collecting business grew to a climax in the mid-1960s, but then began to falter in the 70s due to a series of economic recessions. As green stamps declined in value, people stopped bothering collecting them or redeeming them. Until the late 1970s, the U.S. government regulated and controlled all airlines. They decided how much airline companies could charge for plane tickets and what routes they could fly. But suddenly, and with very little notice, that all changed in 1978 when the government deregulated the airline industry. Airline companies had to come up with a completely new business model. At that time, a man named Bob Crandall was the CFO of American Airlines. He was interviewed for an episode of Surprisingly Awesome, a podcast put out by Gimlet Media, about what it was like to be a leader in a major airline during this massive transition. I'd like to read a quote from that podcast episode's transcript. Bob said, quote, It was clear that what we now had was a much more aggressive, much wider-ranging business, and there were lots of airlines. So we said, well, you know, why should anybody choose us rather than the other guy every time he or she flies? We want them to choose us every time they fly. How do you do that? So we hit on the idea of awarding people a prize, an accumulating prize, and what's the prize people want? And every piece of market research that we did then, or have done since, is that people like travel better than any other award. And of course, we're in the travel business, so we therefore stumbled upon the idea of frequent flyer miles. And the most brilliant thing we did was use the reservation system to keep track of it. So you didn't have to stick coupons in a book, we kept track of it for you." End quote. American Airlines launched their frequent flyer mile program on May 1st, 1981. Within a few years, nearly all the major airlines followed suit, solidifying the frequent flyer mile program as the most successful loyalty program to date. coffee, the 80-20 rule applies just as it did to the copper token-wielding merchants, the Sperry and Hutchison Company, and American Airlines. Coffee shops rely on their regulars, customers who attach their coffee-buying ritual to a specific company and stick to that. Experts say that the best way to determine the future success of a coffee company isn't the physical location of the shop and it's not the quality of their beans. It's how loyal their customers are. Most coffee shops incorporate a card-based loyalty program. When you buy coffee, you get a stamp on your card. And when you get a certain number of stamps, you earn a free coffee on the house. 
Many coffee shops give new customers a nearly fully stamped card in order to promote brand loyalty early on and give their customers a positive feeling about their coffee from the start. Coffee loyalty programs aren't just limited to local coffee shops, however. Starbucks, for example, has had a loyalty program for the last several years centered around earning stars. Their previous system gave customers one star for each purchase. After receiving 30 stars, a customer became a member of Starbucks Gold. After attaining gold status, each subsequent 12 stars would get you a free coffee. But last week, Starbucks announced that they were overhauling their loyalty program, giving customers two stars for every dollar they spend in Starbucks. Rewards are more difficult to attain now, however. Gold status requires 300 stars, and every 125 subsequent stars gets you a free reward like coffee or a snack. Under the new system, you'll have to spend $62.50 before getting that free coffee, and that's only after acquiring your gold status, which is equivalent to spending $150. All told, a Starbucks customer will need to sink $212.50 before getting their first free coffee. When we choose to share our loyalty with a company, we're doing more than simply buying their product. In a sense, we're placing the same level of trust and commitment in them as we do other important entities and people in our lives. Rather than speaking with our mouths or with our hearts, however, we're speaking with our wallet. Where we choose to spend our money is up to us every single day. And while it's not reasonable to stop and research every single company that we ever choose to buy a product from just to determine if they are worth supporting, I believe it is our duty to look into those that we choose to share our loyalty with consistently. Every type of coffee shop and company that uses an incentive program is trying to get you to spend more money. That's no secret. By making their product a part of your routine and making the rewards good enough to keep you interested, these companies are going to keep you coming back day after day. They want to make you a part of their 20% that generates 80% of their income. In truth, however, most of these companies don't need you. Starbucks, for example, will continue to exist if you never buy another coffee from them. However, that's not true of other coffee shops in your community. The reality is that small, local coffee shops rely more heavily on regular customers than you could ever know. If you love coffee and are passionate about supporting those that work to make it well, I would encourage you to speak with your wallet to those companies that need it most. Put your loyalty in a place where it will be respected, cherished, and requited. Thanks for listening to the Boise Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mansfield, and I deeply appreciate your support. If you'd like to listen to other episodes, you can find the Boise Coffee Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my blog, boisecoffee.org. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can shoot me a note on Twitter. My handle is at Boise Coffee. Thank you, and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>